Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. to the Turn of the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Will Parkinson, at WillPaul11 on Twitter, joined by Badlands and T.O.J. Son and Joe Caparoso. Joe, how you doing today? I'm doing well. It's the morning of the draft. There, There's nowhere I'd rather be than on the T.O.J. podcast. Maybe tied with the Badlands podcast, but right, right, obviously close to my heart. So happy to be here. Yeah, it's exciting. Uh, it's going to be an exciting day for kind of the future of the Jets franchise. I feel like we kind of almost have understated it because we've known the pick for so long at this point that I almost – I think we're not realizing that the Jets are drafting what hopefully will be the last franchise quarterback, they have, potential franchise quarterback they have to draft for the next decade plus. And um, obviously, you know, the last couple might not have fully hit, but at this point, you know, you got to be, your egg's got to be all in on Zach Wilson. I've said on the pod before, obviously everyone knows I love Sam, but I'm all in on Zach Wilson now because I don't really have a choice. And they're not taking fields. They're not taking Lance or Mac Jones. And I, I think people need to, to be honest with you, just start to do a little bit more of, you know, take the emotion out of it and try to see how you can evaluate Zach Wilson. I'm not saying he's to be your favorite player right away, but he's going to be this team's starting quarterback week one. And I think, I think that's an exciting prospect. He's a guy that people love around the league. People love in the draft community. People love personnel wise uh, fans seem to really enjoy. So what's your, what's your, you know, quick excitement level for, uh, for that number two pick, obviously it's, not as fun because we already know who it's going to be, but at the same time, it's, it's a franchise quarterback. I'm excited. I, and I think this has been sort of a weird off season and process where they're moving on from someone who not too long ago, most fans were on the bandwagon for believing he was going to be the next guy. I think with Wilson, I think there's a huge subsection of the fans who are excited about it. There's also fans who understandably would be more excited if the pick was Fields or Lance. I think there's a lot of debate on how these guys are ranked after Lawrence, but I think the reality is with Wilson is that if the Jets didn't take him at two, the Niners would take him at three. This is not a guy who they're reaching or doing something crazy on. Uh, There's some people who think he's the number one quarterback in this class. I don't agree with that, but I also don't agree that he's the fourth or fifth guy in the class either. In my mind, he's kind of 2A, 2B uh, with fields. And I think anytime you're getting a new quarterback and getting to turn the page with a guy who has his arm ability and aggressiveness, it's it's an exciting time. And I, and I think there's no reason Jet fans with Wilson paired with Douglas, paired with Salah, shouldn't be excited. You know, I totally agree. And I think the last thing, and, and we'll kind of move on to the rest of the draft because there's a lot of exciting stuff happening. But I, I just think that we were overblowing some of the weaknesses in Wilson's game. I think the Steve Young, who, you know, is on he's on ESPN every week doing a hit on the Jets um, on the Michael K show. And all year he talked about how the Jets were a terrible situation for Sam, terrible situation for quarterbacks. And I know he's a BYU guy, and I know he's going to be biased in the process and the Jets – kind of own ESPN at this point with all the guys, former players, and then they had Keyshawn on and there's a former Jet defending Sam throughout the year. But I just think if you want to go level of competition, Trey Lance has that problem. Justin Fields to this at this point, like the Big Ten was terrible last year. So you can go through all these different guys. The ACC minus two or three teams is very bad. So 
level of competition, not worried. He played well against USC. It's a game that I watched him for. I knew who Zach Wilson was before. I'm not claiming I thought he was the number one quarterback two years ago, but I, I was impressed with the way he played and out to Keaton Slovis that at one point. Um, you know, and then, you know, kind of, uh, you know, just like, I think he's going to be a great prospect for them. And if they surround him the right way, I think, uh, I think they have a chance here to do something really special. So um, obviously, you know, the Jets are going to have, they have the 23rd pick as of now. What's your kind of prediction on not, maybe not a player, but where they go with the pick, whether it's trade back, trade up or stay put in draft, uh, either skill guy or offensive line in there. I mean, I want them to be able to stay put and go offensive line. Do I think that's the most likely thing to happen? Probably not. I, I don't think they're going to trade up. Uh, I don't think the board is likely to break in their favor where they get an offensive lineman. The one I, I'd like to see at 23, whether that's AVT or Tevin Jenkins, I think you know either would be a home run for the Jets at the 23 spot. It is probably more likely that they either get to a situation where they trade back four or five picks and get an edge rusher corner or receiver that they're still excited about while getting an extra pick or just stay put and get a guy at one of those three positions that falls further than many people expect. Um, whether it ends up being an Ojolari, um, a Jalen Phillips, which I think, I think would be a risk, uh, a Newsome. I think receiver is less likely than, than defense if they don't go offensive line, but I wouldn't write it off entirely. Uh, especially if they trade back four or five spots. Uh, so I'm keeping my fingers crossed that they catch a break and they get the offensive lineman that marries the value and the need. I think if I had to put a percentage on it, it feels more likely the board breaks in a way where they end up going with an edge rusher. And someone may, you know, some may think that that's an oversaturation at the position after you know, the Carl Lawson signing and the Vinnie Curry signing and still having Jabari Zaniga on the roster. But I just feel like their mentality is going to be, you cannot have enough pass rushers in this defense, especially with the state of the cornerback position. And Zaniga, we don't know if he's ever going to be a capable NFL player. And Vinnie Curry was a minimum deal. Lawson was obviously the big investment, but you put a Ojolari or, you know, Quiddy Pay opposite him. I think Robert Sala would be really excited about that. And I don't think that, they will reach for a guy they have 10 to 15 spots lower just because of positional value. Now, look, maybe they have a guy like Creed Humphrey or, or Leatherwood uh, in the same range, and they feel the need is strong enough where they're only a few spots behind him and they take one of those guys. And I wouldn't have a problem with that move either, but I do wonder if, they, if they're going to go in the direction of linemen of that tier, they try to trade back to like 28 or 29, still get them and maybe get an extra second or an extra third. Yeah, I just for the in terms of kind of the trade up versus trade down thing, I think it's less likely they trade up unless you kind of mentioned this, but unless the board breaks where the quarterbacks all go in the top 10 and all of a sudden you've got one of the, you know, maybe a Dareshaw or ABT kind of falling a little bit, which I don't think will happen. Even Slater, I don't think is going to still get out of the top 10. But all of a sudden, JC Horn falls to 15 or 16, maybe, right? But then, you know, I can share with New England, but maybe they, you know, trade up to that, you know, point and then trade back from 34. But I, I do think that the board at 23 is going to look great for them in terms of they might be able to get a tackle. They can play guard. There's going to be edges on the board. There's going to be, you know, very, very capable receivers and potentially a corner or two. So I just think they need to marry best player available, something that can add a ton of talent to the roster, and hopefully that fits a need as well. There's I said this on the pod the other day, but other than interior defensive line, probably safety and maybe middle linebacker if you're really counting on mostly for 16 or 17 games well, every position is a position of need at this point and I guess quarterback right because they'll go less than it too but you know if they love a guy at 23 I don't care what position it is as long as they feel this guy's going to add immense talent to this roster same thing at 34 I'm going to back Douglas on these picks because the roster is so barren of talent that anything they're adding at this point is just is a bonus, right? I mean, obviously, ideally, they could fill both guard spots, day one starters in this draft, and all of a sudden you protect Wilson at a much higher rate. But if they love a receiver at 23, I'm not going to fault them because, quite frankly, they still do need, uh, you know, weapons. And look, I just think there's a lot of great prospects in this draft. It's a deep class, especially positions the Jets need, which is a huge positive. I just would like to see them be aggressive with getting the best player on their board and trust themselves. I don't want to 
oh, we need a guard here, so let's reach for a round three guard at 23. If they love a guard, though, I'm not going to fault them for it because we've mentioned that you've mentioned a million times. I've mentioned a million times guard and corner are probably the two weakest position groups on this roster. I guess running back included, but in terms of importance. So, yeah, edge, I'd be very excited about an edge because all of a sudden now you have two guys rushing the passer for the next five to six years and Lawson, Q, and whoever they would draft as a minimum. And then you get guys like Rankins, JFM. You know, there's a million different guys on that roster, but they could protect the cornerback position a lot by getting an edge. And I think they could help Zach Wilson out a lot by either getting a tackle or a receiver at that spot. So it's, it's going to be interesting. I just, the 23 and 34, I think they're so crucial to this draft of Douglas nailing those picks because if he nails Becton, Mims, and then hopefully Ashton Davis kind of takes that next step this year. And then you can nail those first three picks this year. All of a sudden you've got six starters all under the age of 22 that can really impact this roster going forward and, and make Salah's job a lot easier. Yeah. I mean, look, they, they just need talent. They, they just need talent on both sides of the ball, like top end talent who is going to be difference makers. They're very light on that right now. You could say Makai Becton's that guy at left tackle defensively, you know, you're going to hope Carl Lawson's that guy. We haven't seen CJ Mosley recent enough to say that he is that guy anymore. And then you have Quinn and Williams, uh, up front, but they just need more, you know, game breakers uh, at different positions. And it'll be very interesting to see how 23 shakes out and how that influences how day two plays out because day two is just immensely important for Joe Douglas having three picks currently. And that could end up being more uh, between round two and between uh, round three, where he's got to find guys who contribute day one. Uh, there's good, there's roles to be won on this jets roster right now. There's not a ton of people who are, firmly locked in as starters i mean off the top of my head really you can make the case that the jets need two new starting guards they need serious competition at tight end um they need two corners they could put in the mix um and they probably still need help at linebacker at the second level because there's still some question marks there so there's a lot to go around and a lot of spaces where the jets just could use more and even at receiver you know, you, you like the look of the top four to an extent. They still need more vertical speed. And this is a very deep receiver class where I think it would be foolish for them to sit out that position entirely. I hope they take a swing at some point within the first three rounds. And that doesn't even get to running back, which low priority position. I don't buy any of the smoke that they look at Najee Harris or Travis Etienne with 23 or 34, but round four, round five for the right guy. Yeah, I think getting someone else in the mix probably makes sense, no, no matter how bullish we might be on a, on a Ty Johnson uh, in a bigger role. You want to, you know, get another swing in there to add more competition to the position. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And look, I don't get me wrong. If the Jets go receiver running back 23 and 34, I'll talk myself into being like, well, they just added a quarterback running back and a receiver and, you know, go score points. But at the end of the day, there's, there's definitely bigger needs on the team. I just think that, again, it's all about adding talent to this roster. Joe Douglas trusting his board and his scouting staff. It's something the Ravens did exceptionally well and always do exceptionally well. It's something the Eagles under while Douglas was there helping Howie Roseman did exceptionally well. So I'd like to see them continue doing that. Is there anybody or, I guess, position that the Jets go or away the Jets go on Thursday, and you know, tonight and, and tomorrow, Thursday and Friday, that would make you kind of really scratch your head? Obviously, we can joke about the interior defensive line. I don't think they're going to tackle, but is there anything else that would make you go, ooh, I, I'm concerned or confused at what, you know, kind of what's going on here? I'd be worried about Farley at 23. That's the one I've kind of consistently flagged. I'd even be worried about Phillips. I, you know, I know those guys are exciting talents, but man, this team cannot afford that level of injury risk to have a rookie who has that high of a potential of missing serious time in year one or even in any part of their early part of their career. So I would be a little wary of them taking that degree of an injury risk. I also think running back at 23 has to be a head scratcher. You, you know, it's hard in a vacuum not to be excited about Najee Harris and Travis Etienne. These guys are explosive. They're fun to watch. They can contribute in the passing game, but there's just too much data out there that says running back is a luxury and should not be a priority position. And the jets just have way too many holes to be using a first round pick or a high second round pick really on the running back position. So I think that would be just like from a roster building standpoint, a bit, a bit concerning. And 
would seem to be out of character from what we hear or perceive Joe Douglas to be. I want, and this won't happen, I don't think, I want the emphatic exclamation point O-line at 23, O-line at 34. We have these two new O-linemen. We have Mekhi Becton, and we are not going to let our new quarterback fail. We're just going to put high draft picks around him and stack talent around him. If the board breaks that way, which I don't think it will, I would love that kind of emphatic statement of what kind of team this is going to be. Most likely, they'll probably end up getting an edge rusher at 23. That seems to be where the wind's blowing. I don't know if that's where I'm going to go in my final mock. I haven't really decided yet. And then I think you'll see a few different swings throughout day two on offensive line. And they'll get those guys in the mix along with Cam Clark and maybe another veteran who's added and see if they could sort it out at guard. But my main concern is setting Zach Wilson up to succeed and doing every single thing they can to protect him, put him in a scheme that makes sense and continue to put playmakers around them. And I think fortunately from the playmaker standpoint, they can find guys late day two, early day three at receiver and running back who can add some punch to the offense. Now to be you know fair and critical of Douglas, he didn't do in my perspective, a great job at this last year, right? These swings were, James Morgan and the Michael P. Ryan and Cam Clark. Now we don't know about Cam Clark yet. Hopefully he could get in the mix. I did not love the P. Ryan pick at the time. I didn't see anything as rookie year that made me like it anymore. And I don't think his skill set is a great fit for this offense. I could be totally wrong. He could be someone who transforms his game after his rookie year, kind of like Bilal Powell did back in the day. I remember he looked like crap his rookie year and then kind of came back a different player in year two, year three. And with Morgan, you know, that that's a that's a pick that could have been Gabriel Davis or, or someone else who could have really been a difference maker. And I just don't see a world where that dude is even ever the backup quarterback here. So it's his first draft. He was dealing with Adam Gase in his ear, I'm sure, to an extent. I hope this year that there's better swings taken in those spots because I think there could be real value there. And it's just going to be so critical to get Wilson talent and depth at these positions because players are going to get hurt and you can't have a situation where he's throwing to Jeff Smith and Braxton Berrios and Vincent Smith in week four. You have to have um, reliable backups or backups that bring more upside than that. You know, I pretty much agree on everything you said there. I think that um, it's about taking swings. I think it's about the, the Jets and Douglas throughout the past 18 months, and I think Salah is going to be in a very similar kind of case to almost the way Rex used to do things in a, in a bit of a, you know, player's coach, and he's willing to kind of put his name on the line, kind of, you know, think if I get this guy, my hands on this guy, I get him in the building, you know, he's going to hit. So while I would be concerned with the guy with long injury history, like a Farley or a Phillips, I would, that would give me hesitation, but guys that have, you know, maybe a Greg Newsom that's had some injuries and knocked up at 34, you know, would take him or, you know, there's other kind of types of guys like that, that I think is, is would be worth it. At the end of the day, you know, you mentioned it, they're going to, and we've talked about this before, it's like adding talent, but it's the Jets history so far under Douglas and under Salaf throughout this offseason has been high character, super high upside, kind of low floor guys. So, you know, you look at a drive Davis signing a Carl Lawson, signing you know guys that if they hit wow like just got a steal right if they don't it could it could go you know kind of poorly so um you know even in the draft Beck didn't there was no guarantee Beckton was going to work he's ended up you know working his butt off and you know, ended up translating really well to the next level but there was no guarantee there's no guarantee Mims coming from that Fugazi Baylor offense was going to hit so I just think, look, at the end of the day, the Jets are going to need to take swings on guys. They're going to need to hit. They're going to need to trust their board, and they need to add talent to this roster, specifically on the offensive side of the ball, because I can't watch another Jets season. I don't think anyone wants to watch. No matter how much better LaFleur is than Gase at calling plays, the talent still needs to be added, and they cannot finish in the bottom three, four in the league again on offense. I don't Even if they have a rookie, like even when they have Wilson next year, they've got to be at least a, comparable, uh, you know, a competent offense scoring points especially against some of the weaker teams on their schedule although the Jets are probably a weak team on everybody's schedule next year too so um we there's two things that I thought were you know super interesting that to watch because Douglas has a history of this and the Jets franchise quite frankly has done well in some years and poorly in others is there anybody on the roster you think a might get moved for a day two or day three pick most likely a day three pick based on the guys I, I'm assuming you're going to say and then is there anybody that you should you think the Jets should uh, watch out for with their 500 six round picks and then 
you know, some of their Sam picks from uh, for 2022. I think they should be. In, I know they're not going to trade for Julio, but if all of a sudden the price is the, exactly the Sam package, I think you literally sprint that. You know, you sprint that, those picks over to Atlanta because all of a sudden now you don't need to draft a receiver, and all of a sudden your receiver room is pretty damn good and now you're you know you can just go all in on offensive line again I don't think Julio's realistic I just think that that's something the Jets should be checking in on I think Crowder's name to watch in my opinion how about yourself I I think Crowder if the Jets end up taking a receiver in the top 40 to 50 of the draft and I'm putting 40 and 50 there because if they trade back from 34 or 23 I could absolutely see them moving on from Crowder, flipping him for a fourth round pick pocketing the money and then reallocating it to corner or offensive line post NFL draft for free agents who are out there. They may say there's interest in moving Mosley. No one's taking that contract. And I, they just, there's two, they're too thin at linebacker to move him as well. So I don't think that's going to happen. I'm a big believer that Joe Douglas has a consistent pattern of trading fifth and sixth round picks for veterans. He's actually done it four times. I've been forgetting they did it for Alex Lewis. Uh, I think they'll do that again, who that target is. I don't know. I would keep an eye on the Eagles, Niners, and Ravens roster for guys that the front office and coaching staff could be familiar with that might want to take another shot on that those organizations could sour on. Outside of those teams, maybe a guy like Anthony Miller on the Bears, who's been rumored to be on the trade market, adds a little juice to the receiver room if the board doesn't break the way you want. Maybe Zach Ertz. I doubt it. I don't don't necessarily think that will happen. Julio, I'm sure they'll do their diligence. I'd be stunned if they made that kind of move. Um, would just be, I don't know. I mean, it would kind of be like in some ways, I guess, like the Brandon Marshall move, which worked out great for one year and then was, uh, you know, kind of fell apart after that, which might be a similar situation here. I just don't think they'd pony up the necessary draft capital and cap space to get that done. But I'm expecting the day three flip a pick or two for a couple of veterans, maybe at receiver, maybe a corner, maybe at O-line, and maybe, maybe for a guy like Ertz. Yeah, I mean, Ertz is a guy that's interesting. It's, people keep talking about it. He gets linked all the time. I just would be – it feels like the difference with him and, like, a Julio, for example, or some of the other veterans that could get moved is Ertz just can never stay healthy, but he's not a top-five receiver to ever play the game either. You know, he's a good player. I just don't think he adds much at all from a blocking perspective. Every time I watch him, teams go after him. Um, you've been hurt in hard knocks a couple of years ago, and that was when he was in his prime not getting hurt, so – I wouldn't expect that. Anthony Miller's a name that that seems, you know, could happen. I, again, I think you mentioned it, but guard, corner, positions of need and guys that Douglas has seemed to try to take shots on in the last, you know, last two off seasons are he tries to get buy low on guard and develop, tries to buy low on corner and develop. He's trying to buy low at running back and develop. So I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, he flips picks for those types of positions. Also, an edge rusher potentially if they don't draft an edge on day one, maybe targeting a veteran edge rusher that could come in. Uh, you know, it's got one or two years left on a deal that Jets could absorb some money for a later round pick. But you know, it's it's exciting for sure. Um, obviously, it kind of affects the Jets, kind of not. Do you see any of their division rivals making a big splash on a big splash tonight? Because I certainly don't think New England's going to be able to get their quarterback. I think it's going to be Jimmy G. Or it's going to be somebody that falls to probably eight or 15. I mean, from, you know, at eight and they tripped, you know, to Carolina's pick. I think that's the only way they get him. And I don't think Fields is going to be that guy. I think Fields goes four and they end up maybe with Mac Jones or Trey Lance, but uh, Fields doesn't go three. So is there anybody in the division you think is going to make a big splash? Because I certainly don't want Kyle Pitts or Justin Fields in this division. I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. And maybe that's me just giving wishful thinking. I think new England leaves a draft with either Jimmy G or Mac Jones as their quarterback. I, I don't think teams are going to be in a rush to help new England out and help them get up to six or seven or whatever it's going to take to get Justin Fields fields obviously is a fascinating wild card. I wouldn't even say there's a 0% chance he goes at three. I don't think it's going to happen. I wouldn't predict it, but I wouldn't fully write it off. He's on the table at four. I wouldn't fully write him off even still for the Panthers and Broncos. Uh, and you don't know who else could be aggressive in trying to move up to get him. So if the Niners don't go Mac at three, I feel like New England's sort of the logical like backstop for his fall if he gets down into the mid-teens. New, I think Miami probably ends up staying put and goes Waddle. That kind of feels like that ends up being their move. I don't – I mean, obviously, if Pitts is on the board because Atlanta goes fields and um, 
since he decides to pass on him, that would be scary and not ideal. Buffalo is so deep in the draft that it's hard to panic too much about what they do. But I think, look, everyone's going to be terrified about New England uh, until we see what shakes out. I think, yes, Fields or Lance on New England would be very scary. Straight up, it would be scary. I don't think it's likely to happen. Jimmy G or Mac Jones on New England, less scary. Um, and I, I feel like those are more likely things to happen than the quote-unquote doomsday scenario of you know fields tumbling all the way down to them or New England getting super aggressive and giving up a ton of assets to move up into the top 10 to get one of them. The only – the last thing I'll, we'll finish with here before we kind of give you guys a free preview uh, of Badlands, a 15-minute clip of, uh, of last night's pod that you guys, you know, will make sure if you're not subscribed to subscribe, you know, to the Badlands podcast. But um, I guess the – how many starters – this is a hard question, I guess, but how many starters do you think the Jets need to get out of this draft? I think they need to get five starters next year out of this draft. I might be aggressive. They've got 10 picks, potentially going to have more. They've got five top 100 picks. I would assume three to four of those guys on day one should be at least contributors in packages, let alone starters, and I probably need one of those day three guys to contribute or start right away. Am I being too aggressive with five, or is that a number that kind of resonates with you as well? I mean, five, five stuff. I'm trying to think back to 2006, which is the draft that I kind of default to where they pulled maybe the most starters, obviously brick and Mangold were starters. Uh, Leon Washington was a starter as a rookie. Uh, and I think Eric Smith was starting by the end of his rookie year. Brad Smith kind of counts because he was playing in so many different areas. If they could get three or four starters and one or two like competent role players, I think you feel good about that. It depends on the position, really. I mean, like you could say like, well, they got a starter last year because Braden Mann's a starter. It's like, yeah, he's a punter. So it doesn't really matter. Or, you know, Bryce Hall's a starter. Literally, who you know, cares? <laughs> exactly. Like, and we don't know for sure yet if Bryce Hall's a long-term solid starter. But if they get two to three players who are big helps to Zach Wilson in his development, in my mind, that's the biggest win above all. I think their defense is going to be good. Despite some gaps on the depth chart, I think they'll be coached up well enough and have so much talent from a pass rush perspective that they'll be worst case middle of the pack on defense, good enough to be competitive most weeks. I think the key thing is Zach Wilson has to work. So if they get a lineman, a receiver, and a tight end, you know, spread between round two, four, and five, that really help Wilson the next two or three years, along with Mims and Becton, then this draft is a success. And if ultimately, honestly, if Wilson is good, like really good, then this draft is a success. Of course you want to put more around him and, you know, have a deep draft, but all everyone's going to remember is did Joe Douglas make the right decision at quarterback? Was Zach Wilson the right pick at two? Uh, and that encompasses trading Darnold, not taking fields, not taking Lance, not taking Mac Jones. That's what we're going to remember this on. I think they'll get some more depth. I think from the first class, Becton, Mims, and Hall will turn out to be long-term starters. I'm not really sold on anyone else yet, including Ashton Davis. Could be wrong. Um, we'll see this year, and I hope it gets more to like three to four starters and one to two contributors. Yeah, no, I agree. Because if you think about it, the Jets in free agency, probably should have and probably will have acquired at least three to four starters between last year and this year's draft. If you If you go four and four and you're generous with Davis and you're – um, you know, being realistic with this draft, if you can get 12 to 13 starters out of the last, you know, uh, two drafts and free agency class, all of guys under 26 years old, you've now built a great core on top of the Marcus Mays and, um, you know, the McGoverns and guys like that, you know, the world. So, or Herndon, I guess. But yeah, no, it's going to be an exciting night. We'll have, we we'll kind of have you covered all throughout the draft process here. We've got the TOJ pod dropping, the draft season drop. Um, you know, Wednesday morning and their final mock draft. You got the final Badlands pod before the draft, and then you know, which you'll get a free preview of here. Um, we're doing a we're doing an exciting giveaway to make sure to follow me and Joe on Twitter for that. And then we'll have you know live reactions, um, you know, to an, an instant pod reactions for you know all the uh, you know day one, day two, and day three picks, and you know we'll kind of uh, kind of go from there. Amen. Uh, definitely follow us for the giveaway. It's going to be very simple. You just got to show you're giving the five-star review for the TOJ pod that you're subscribed to Badlands, which we'll get a free preview of uh, after this segment and uh, tweet that over. And we're going to hand out a nice shiny new Zach Wilson jersey. So um, listen to the TOJ pod, listen to the Badlands pod, and you're going to be very informed and uh, witty about this team. That's all we can ask.
yeah, no, it'll it'll be a fun time, and uh, make sure to you know stay tuned for the for the rest of the pod here. You'll hear you know Joe and Connor, and they'll give you great more you know a little bit more insight into the draft process. And uh, you know we got you covered throughout the weekend, and uh, you know hopefully we'll we'll have some uh, other starters for Zach Wilson. Amen. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse, carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see, we could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to your favorite New York Jets subscription podcast, Badlands. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, joined as always by Connor Rogers in what is the money week for Mr. Rogers bleacher report SNY. Now, Connor, this is what you work for year round. How you feeling? It really is. I'm excited. You know, as we sit here and do this show uh, on a Monday evening, it's uh, a lot is in front of me. I'm traveling for the first time this week since I got home from the last scouting combine. So it's, it's crazy. I was on the road mainly for football multiple times a month and I have not traveled in over a year so I will be going down we will be doing our Bleacher Report live coverage so if you're looking for another way to watch the draft no commercials more analysis me left go keep to leave Reggie Wayne RG3 Cam Jordan uh, we will be doing live coverage Thursday Friday and of course Saturday I will be doing the Saturday show with Taylor Rooks and a, and a ton of great guests as well uh, we'll be doing it down in Atlanta. That's where they they shoot uh, the you know NBA on TNT and all that great great stuff. So we'll have a really big studio space. So looking forward to getting down there. I'm really just looking forward to the draft in general because it's you know if you're a subscriber, you know that the the draft guide got an update, and if you didn't see that, it did. It has 250 players on the big board. So I was really excited to get through that many players this year and and really feel good about. Uh, this week and, and not just day one because anybody could do day one but day two the surprises of day two and of course the the sleepers and the unsung heroes of day three and it's a big impact with our New York Jets right and and even god I didn't even say it SM I'll be doing stuff on SNY um, I will be a part of their I'll somehow be in two places at the same time I will be a part of their Thursday night coverage that starts at 7 p.m. while also on Bleacher Report and then Sunday I will be doing a post-draft recap show live uh, from 6 to 7, all Jets related. So it'll be me, Steve Gelbs, a couple other people, and it'll it'll be great. I, I can't wait. I mean, Joe, you and I have been preparing for this draft for so long, especially when uh, this has got to be the least competitive Jet season I can ever remember it since you know I've been this focused on the team that it was just kind of always the draft. We didn't even go into the season with that much excitement. So it'll be cool to see it all come together. It's While it's closing a chapter, the draft will be closing a chapter, it's also opening a huge one with Zach Wilson. And, and we're at the point of the process where the people that don't like Wilson are finding idiotic or, or what they think is these clever ways to bring him down. Uh, the people that don't like Fields do the same thing to Fields. The people that don't like Trey Lance do the same thing to Trey Lance, and on and on and on. There's not really a lot of nuance at this point, so I'm I am looking forward to letting the guys just get into camp and play and and develop. Yeah, it's definitely time, and it's fun to always turn the page to being able to zero in on the seven, eight, nine, ten players that the Jets actually draft, going deep on their careers, their expectations, their pro comparisons beyond Wilson, who we have really thought would be the guy for a while here. And I, I mean, we've been waiting for this week for so long. We went a little crazy on the feed uh, this past Sunday. Connor updated the the top 250 in the draft guide, seven round Mac mock draft from Connor. I did a little run through of the jets past 20 years of draft classes. And then we also had the extra episode with Jordan Reed. So we're going to keep the feed active. We very much get as jet fans that this week, along with free agency week, is sadly usually among the most exciting times of the year. It's not sadly, it's exciting for every fan, but for Jet fans in particular, the offseason uh, is always a time for hope, and we do hope that this year is going to lead into that hope actually being justified on the field because they got a GM, head coach, and quarterback combination that we're excited about. 
we're not expecting a lot of drama here at the top of the draft. We know it's going to be Trevor Lawrence and then Zach Wilson. The Niners have dominated the discourse going into the NFL draft, whether that is intentionally or whether they are as messy with their process as it seems to be, where it sounds like their coaching staff is leading in one direction, their front office is leading in another direction. You feel like if this was the Jets organization, they would be getting totally ripped to shreds right now for how, I don't know, how jumbled this process is. Now, we'll, we'll weave this in throughout the episode. A lot of people now, of course, like to wager on the draft, even if you watch it casually. Everyone has their theory for number three right now, whether it's, oh, it's a slam dunk, it's going to be Mac Jones, which does seem kind of crazy, but that's been the most prevailing popular opinion. This has all been a smokescreen for Justin Fields or Trey Lance. He'll make sense to sit a year behind Jimmy G and then take over a year after that. If you look at the odds right now on DraftKings, you got Mac Jones minus 305, Justin Fields plus 500, and Trey Lance at plus 250. When you look at those three, and I feel like yeah, those are the only three you know options here with that pick, where are you leaning? We're recording this Monday night, you know, exactly three nights from now as to where the Niners ultimately go with this pick. So the day they made the trade, I, I put in a bet on Trey Lance and nothing wild. I, I, you know, fluctuate with what I feel good about and what I think is a long shot and what I think is, you know, decent chance, things like that. And the, I don't even know if the odds were that good. It might've been like plus 200 or something for Trey at the time. And it was just my thought that this guy makes the most sense in this scenario. And like I said, it wasn't enough money where when most of the national media called it a certainty, you know, that he would be Mac Jones. I didn't like panic or anything like that. I just kind of shrugged my shoulders like, well, that's stupid, but teams do stupid things. So whatever. And then it's come full circle. I mean, we're sitting here in the beginning of draft week. We're a couple of days away. And now you call it a two man race. And there are people that are, backpedaling like our boy Revis and just saying it might be it might be Trey Lance and it just it just makes me wonder the process and all of this like what changed in the credible people that were saying it was Mac Jones my understanding of this situation was and it's from somebody that would know I'm not just like this isn't I wouldn't even bring this up on the show if it wasn't a really great source because there's a lot of things I don't bring up on the show because the source could be shaky or it's just unproven. Somebody told me that they made that trade knowing that they loved this quarterback class and had to get into the top three, very reminiscent of what the Jets did a couple of years ago when they got Sam Darnold. The Jets, when they made that trade, did not think they were getting Sam Darnold, and they weren't even sure that they were going to get Baker Mayfield. There was a chance that year that it could go Baker, then Sam to the Giants. A small one, but a chance. And then they would take Josh Allen or Rosen. They just liked the quarterback class that much. I've heard that this trade was very reminiscent of that. And something I've been saying a lot is Kyle Shanahan makes the quarterback decisions in San Francisco. Kyle Shanahan was not watching these quarterbacks play college football this year. He had other things to do. Then his coaching staff gets gutted in January. He has to work on fixing his, filling his coaching staff. Then you go on to free agency evaluations in February and March. Kyle Shanahan started this evaluation process significantly, like the heavy part of it, traveling, watching guys work out, uh, very late compared to other high-level top decision makers. So I think they, what my, I was told is they made this trade not being set on one guy, but liking the group as a whole and knowing they were going to come out of it. Now, obviously, Mac Jones could have been the favorite and Trey Lance could do some things that could sway you the other way or vice versa. But I just look at this and go, it is unfathomable to trade three first-round picks and take Mac Jones and say, we think this guy was worth three first-rounders. When the reality of the politics of the NFL, every single thing, and I like Mac Jones. Like, I think he's a nice top-of-round-two prospect, and those quarterbacks that are top-of-round-two prospects go in the top 15. It happens. But he is going to be compared with every single thing that Justin Fields and Trey Lance do the rest of their football lives. If he is the pick at three and it's just a tough situation where I don't think the ceiling is even close in that offense for what Trey or Justin Fields can do compared to what Mac is going to give you. So I think they've kept everything close to the vest. I think that Trey Lance is every bit in this thing as Mac Jones. And I don't, typically bet on draft favorites 
um, because it's it's typically worthless. You know, you could make some money if it's a if it's an obvious one, but you're always looking for underdogs that just haven't you know broken free yet. So that was a really really long winded answer for a simple betting question. But if I was going to dip my toes in the water of that bet, I would take Trey Lance because I think the outcome is you know the risk is worth the reward. My what I'd like to see play out in my conspiracy hopeful for future for the Jets is that Shanahan pulls the trigger, takes Mac Jones. Things don't work out for the Niners over the next couple of years. Jets have a great offense the next couple of years. LaFleur gets that head coaching job. Everyone's this. panicked about him taking and Kyle Shanahan fresh off of getting fired needs an offensive coordinator job. Where does he want to come? He wants to coach Zach Wilson. He loves Zach three. Wilson. Jets loves him. There we go. And now we got the Niners staff just reversed. You got Salah. He's better fitted in the top spot. Shanahan, you just worry about dialing up those plays. You don't have to be a personnel guy. You don't have to pick quarterbacks. Build your resume back up with Zach Wilson in year three. I'm not saying it's that crazy. It could happen if they take Mac Jones. So let's say Lance Jones it ends up being one of these guys where is Justin Fields going to end up? Jet fans are in <laughs> an understandable panic today because they're seeing the Patriots could trade up in the top 10 to get Justin Fields. I'd be shocked if they did that. Then again, they did some surprising things in free agency. Mike Lombardi, who's close to that organization, has been pretty down on Fields as a prospect. That could also be a smokescreen where he's trying to throw off their perspective interest. When you look at where Fields is rumored to be going, let's say he do, he's not going to go three. There's Atlanta smoke, especially if they're potentially going to be trading Julio Jones. We'll see if that actually happens. But then does he does Carolina pass on him? Do they or do they take another dart throw? And all of a sudden, after trading those picks from Darnold, they're off of that bandwagon. And if they don't take him, then you have Denver right there as well. How far could Fields fall? if and when he doesn't go three and do you put any stock into this Patriot trade up theory going to get him? Is that going to be something that jet fans should actually really be worried about? So, okay, let me talk them off the ledge here real quick. Yeah. Yes, you should, because I've said this from the day free agency kind of winded down, right? Like when it was okay, time to talk about the draft, the big waves free agency is over. New England spent like a team that did not want to go into the draft with a lot of offensive needs and could trade most of their picks for a quarterback. And I look at that, right? Like you signed two receivers, Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne, good players, despite what people tell you about Nelson Aguilar, very good player last year. They got two high profile tight ends that can catch the ball. So that's four new targets. They, uh, revamped the offensive line a little bit, tailored it. They really built a team where it's a friendly rookie quarterback situation, and they don't need those picks. Now, their, their secondary has quietly gotten very old, and I know that is something Bill Belichick will not tolerate. Like, if they just get stuck at 15, they'll probably take a corner. That just wouldn't shock me at all. But you look at it, they did spend this offseason like a team that was like, hey, we're going to not have a lot of picks and we're going to have a rookie. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Turn the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Will Parkinson, at WillPaw11 on Twitter. Good joined by a very special guest today, Andy Hansen of the NFL 33rd team. He's the COO, joined by, you know, working with right alongside Mike Tannenbaum, their NFL think tank, doing everything draft, analytics, former coaches, scouts, players, talking everything football and um, doing a great job. Andy, how you doing today? Doing great, man. How are you doing? I'm good. Exciting, you know, exciting times, you know, draft, uh, draft in a few days and, um, you know, exciting time for as a Jets fan and exciting time for the NFL as a whole. I think everyone's been kind of since the Super Bowl, even free agency, as exciting as it is, everyone accounts down the days to the draft because you feel like you had a, <laughs> you had a chance to win the Super Bowl every year going into the draft. But um, wanted to start a little bit. Top of the draft, obviously, Trevor Lawrence is going to be going one. There was those weird rumors for a couple of days that they love Zach Wilson, but it looks like the Jets are going to be going Zach Wilson at two, kind of all but, you know, certified at this point. Wanted to get your thoughts on Wilson as a prospect and the likelihood he could um, actually, I don't want to say break a curse of Jets quarterbacks, but be a guy that the Jets could actually develop into a starter and get to a second contract, which I think, think is something we haven't seen in a long time. 
so I like Wilson. Uh, I don't love him. I love Justin Fields, but I understand why some people love uh, Zach Wilson a lot. He has a lot of really good things that he brings to the table. His decision-making is very good. His uh, progression through reads is very good. He's very safe with the football. He has a lot of experience. He has more experience than Justin Fields. He, you know, is a three-year starter and he had to fight for that job every year. So, um, you know, there's a lot of good things that he does. I also think that he's somebody who's going to be able to handle the New York spotlight pretty well. I wouldn't be, you know, worried about him ending up getting in a toxic headspace like some some players in, in New York t- tend to do. Um, but there is like uh, definitely a good and a bad. And the people who think he's going to be good have a dozen stats that they can look at and say, you know, this guy is the sixth best QB rating uh, season of any NCAA quarterback ever. Of course, he's going to be good. They can look at him if they're, you know, Sam Darnold haters, and they can say this guy in his best year of college had two more touchdowns and six fewer interceptions than Sam Darnold did in his best year. So he's better than Sam. Smart idea to get rid of Sam and get this guy. And then there's going to be the uh, Zach Wilson deniers who are going to say, yeah, but Zach Wilson played a cookie cutter schedule. You know, Zach Wilson only played uh, five ranked teams. And in those games, he was had five touchdowns and five interceptions. He only played a couple uh, 10 win teams. And in those games, he had zero touchdowns and eight interceptions. Uh, you can say that he only faced 85 pressures in his senior season or his junior season, but his last season. Um, and he's going to see that in the first four games with the Jets. Um, you know, or you can point to his body type and say, you know, he's just not big enough. But like we all know that that's kind of debunked at this point. Um, but I think that, you know, I also wouldn't be terrified if, if, my team was taking Zach Wilson. I think when it comes to the Jets, it's who do they put around him because they certainly failed to put the proper talent around Sam Darnold for him to succeed. So I wouldn't want to see the same fate follow Zach Wilson where his best wide receiver would be the third option on several other teams. So that, that, that would be the only thing that I actually have to say to an educated Jets fan is like, keep your fingers crossed. There are probably going to be growing pains when he sees real NFL pressure next year. So don't see him take a bad sack or try to throw the ball away and ended up getting picked and then write this kid off forever. But see how he responds to that. I also think he's going to be kind of that cocky guy who, you know, is willing to come right back in the next drive and try to put it down your throat. Whereas, you know, you don't have to worry about him having his head hanging on the sidelines and crying. Yeah, no, it's interesting with Wilson because I think the really good is – as good as you're going to find, right? Those the throws, even if it's against the Texas State throw, he's rolling right and he throws it 60 yards back across the field and hits a good on the dot. Like those throws are incredible. And there's, but there is like you, you do have to have some type of con- not even concern, just awareness that the schedule was easier and it's not his fault. He didn't make the schedule, the whole nine yards and all that stuff, but it, it was an easier schedule. There is going to be growing pains. You're going to go against three of the best defensive head coaches in football in your division twice a year, right? Like Bill Belichick is historically feasted on rookie quarterbacks. Brian Flores has established himself as a really talented head coach. Sean McDermott's awesome. Like all those things are real, but if the Jets surround him the way they, you know, we're going to protect Sam with, you know, his family. And I told his mom, I don't want to hear that. I just want to see it. I want to see it done. Um, obviously you mentioned Justin Fields there and there's the Trey Lance and Matt Jones factor as well. I think those guys are pretty clearly, the top four guys, top five guys, do you see a scenario in which, like, how do you rank your QBs from, you know, kind of Lawrence through, uh, through Mac Jones? Cause I know everybody's kind of, some people are Wilson one, some people are Wilson four, some, you know, Mac Jones is all over the board. How do you rank those guys? Well, I go Lawrence fields, uh, Wilson, Trey Lance, Mac Jones. Uh, and the reason that I do that is like, obviously Trevor Lawrence is number one. You know, anybody who doesn't put him at number one is just trying to get some media buzz. Uh, I put Justin Fields at number two because there's just so many games that he absolutely dominated. And he's been doing this his entire life, you know, and he a lot of the if you actually want to frustrate yourself, go into the hypocrisy of what the talking heads have turned this into because he struggled against Northwestern and uh, Illinois but then they're absolutely not going to talk about how Zach Wilson 
struggled against Coastal Carolina or about how Trey Lance struggled in his championship game against the FCS championship where he threw it 10 times and ran 30 times. Like you're allowed to struggle against competition when you are playing quarterback. That is part of playing quarterback. Um, you know, Trevor Lawrence struggled in the last two college playoffs that he played in. It, it, it's just a reality. These kids are 18, 19, 20 years old that we're trying to judge them off of. Um, but I think Justin Fields is an amazing player. I think that when it, the pocket breaks down, he is going to be able to create with his feet better than anybody else in this class, including Trey Lance, because I think he's quicker than Trey Lance. I think Trey Lance is very good with long speed. I don't think he's very quick and shifty to make a lot of guys miss. I'm also afraid that he's built, he's, he's built really well and he might be used to running over FCS kids and he's going to get to the NFL and try to run over a linebacker. And all of a sudden he's not going to be able to breathe for five minutes. Uh, you know, and then Zach Wilson, I like a lot because he can do a lot. Um, the only reason I don't put him above Justin Fields is because Justin Fields was doing it against better competition. Justin Fields, you know, just did it better and longer. Um, not longer. Uh, we can cut that out though, because the siren. Um, Zach Wilson has been doing a lot of great things. Um, Justin Fields just did it against a higher level of competition. And, you know, he's been the second best quarterback behind Trevor Lawrence his entire life. Uh, you know, and he responded really well. And there's something about that Clemson game that just really sticks out to me of him taking a hard hit pointer and then coming out and throwing four more touchdowns. You know, he threw one stupid interception too, but he threw a stupid interception throwing it to the zone he was supposed to throw to in a blowout game. Yeah. No, you that's know? you know, he had that sixty-five yard bomb to Chris Olave too that like it's like, you know, that's a that was the whole joke of these pro days and things like that is um, I know Steve Weiss mentioned on the pod before, but he's like, it's only concerning when pro days don't go well. Like, he, I'm not there to watch. Like, yeah, it is really cool. The Zach Wilson throw is really cool, and Fields did it, and Calamon did it, and, you know, all these guys. Did, that's really awesome. But I expect, you know, to make these flashy throws and impress scouts in a workout. That's the way you it should be going. You should be trying to show people you do something different. I want to see it. I mean, I know these guys all do it in game, but that's what's important to me, the tape that they actually put on film, no matter what, good, bad, and different. That's what's important. So now the, the QB rankings are, it's just interesting because some guys have fields as, you know, keep strong QB2, basically 1A, and, you know, he smoked Trevor Lawrence. They smoked Trevor Lawrence in that college semifinal. Like, that's the last time we saw Trevor Lawrence play, and Justin Fields threw six touchdowns. And Against Bama, they had no chance. They were never – like, that Bama team's one of the best teams I've ever seen. So, like, offensively, you'd have to score every single play to keep up with them. So, it's interesting. Yeah. I'm not huge on Mac Jones, so that's my, like – I just – I think in the right situation, he could be solid. I don't think he's bad. I just don't think he's great. I mean, I think if you're thinking of it from a New York Jets perspective, you know that Zach Wilson's not going to get in trouble in town. I think something that a lot of people have just glossed over – is Mac Jones DUI. And if Justin, know, Fields Jones, that, if Justin Fields had that DUI, he's probably not going in the first round. It, you know, and it, I, I have just no understanding of how it's been completely glossed over in this entire draft process. We haven't heard about it once. And I understand he got it when he was a freshman. Um, but if you're the freshman quarterback on a championship Alabama team going out and partying and getting behind the wheel of a car, you know, I understand you grow a lot from the age of 19 to 21, but not very much. And especially if you're 22 and all of a sudden we're $30 million in New York City, like you become more of who you are, not not more of who you've been working to become. Yeah. No, even you like know? Baker, even like the Baker thing, like the cop, and I know it's on video. And so obviously anytime there's video, it gets blown up, but the Baker thing still gets brought up. Right. Like that's not that cop video. Get don't, It's a bad video. And I'm not like, it's a hysterical video. That has to be the hardest he's been hit in a long time. I just want to know what was going through his head of like, I can get away. Yeah. I'm fast. I, I got, I got speed. It's kind of felt like his year two, where he just thought he was uh Lamar Jackson and threw 400 interceptions. But um, now, yeah, like your point's valid though. No one's brought up the Mac Jones thing. And you look, look, Sam got himself in trouble in some ways in New York. He got himself sick and Sam has nothing. Like the kid literally says nothing, does nothing, and he's still got in trouble. So 
if you if, if Sam's getting in trouble, God knows what's going to happen with somebody that's like likes to be in the limelight. So, yeah. you know, it's a valid point. I, it's weird that it's, I don't know why it's been. Well, I mean, I, I guess I do know why it's been glossed over, but it's kind of frustrating. I don't want to tear his life apart, but also if we're going to analyze Justin Fields' epilepsy, that is a curable thing that he'll grow out of. I would like to acknowledge Mac Jones getting a DUI. Sorry. Uh, I, you know, and it looks like that's the way that San Francisco is going to go. They traded three first round picks for that opportunity. Okay. I don't think you can get into as much trouble in San Francisco as you can in New York, but you know, God, it's still something that I'd be so afraid to mortgage my future on. Yeah. No, I, I think I would be scared as another team in that NFC West if, if uh, fields went three, I think, that offense and whatever is would be scary with him and the dynamism as opposed to Jimmy G or Matt Jones who don't move well. And if you want to see something interesting, that last pass that Jimmy Garoppolo had in the Super Bowl that was overthrown to Emmanuel Sanders, which I don't even know if it was much of an overthrow. I think Emmanuel Sanders could have kept running and it would have hit him. Um, but then he had the same pass again and it goes through the next receiver's hands. Um, that is the pass that Justin Fields threw to Olave in a playoff game, in a high stakes game, the exact same pass, 65 yards downfield, perfect dot into the guy's chest in double coverage. You know, I understand that a lot of these quarterbacks are able to do those flashy throws at their pro day when they've practiced it a hundred times. Justin Fields was able to do it in a playoff game with a hit pointer. You know, it's that that's just what puts them over the edge for me to be that number two guy. Yeah, no, a lot of the turn on the Jets people, I know Joe and and uh, a bunch of the guys that turn on the Jets are all big Justin Fields guys, so um, the draft season guys. But one to kind of switch to uh, one more thing about the top five that's, I think, super polarizing is the three highest graded receivers pretty much on everyone's board in Kyle Pitts feel like they are so sprinkled all over the board. I, you know, I love, I still think Devontae Smith is going to be really good. I don't think today's NFL being 170 pounds and a guy that will add weight. He's gonna, like, that's just, he's going to get in an NFL locker room with professional, not that Alabama doesn't do that, but Waddle, everyone wants the next Tyree kill and Waddle kind of comps to that, you know, side. And I think Jamar Chase, he probably the best college season I've ever seen from a receiver. And then Devontae Smith did it the next year. Right. So those are guys and Kyle Pitts now is being talked about. I think he's incredible, but now it's like, Oh, should San Francisco take them and trade three ones for him? Um, do you think how like do you think those guys slip at all, or do you think they all gonna end up in the top 10, 11 picks? I would say Pitts, Waddle, and Chase all go in the top 15. I would say Devontae Smith is the only one who might fall between 16 and 20. And uh, I do say that because of his weight and not because I think his weight is too much of a factor. But at the end of the day, he did snap his thumb in the championship game when he was about to set a record for a championship game because he had 200 something yards in the first half um, and absolutely destroyed uh, Sean Wade's draft stock in the process. Plummeted Sean Wade's draft stock. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, he's 166 pounds. He did snap a thumb. Uh, it, it's worrisome. A lot of people, including myself, have had him comp to Marvin Harrison, and Marvin Harrison was 14 pounds heavier. And you look at Marvin Harrison, and you don't think he's 14 pounds heavier than anybody. You know, so that is worrisome. Um, you also don't know if Marvin Harrison decided to eat a burrito and drink a gallon of water before he got on the scale at Indy. But, um, you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, I think that Kyle Pitts is one of those guys that could be an all pro his first, second year in the league, if he goes to the right offense and he might be one of those guys that why the hell did you draft a tight end top 10 if he goes to the wrong team? Um, because I think that he would be just fine playing the X receiver spot. You know, at the end of the day, he's six, six, he runs four, four. He has the best catch radius. I think Kyle Trask did him a huge service by throwing him a ton of uncatchable balls that he was able to catch. You know, if he had had a, a good accurate quarterback, he might be going, you know, mid to late first round, but he showed that he could use his entire catch radius. He made the one-handed catches out in front of him. He made the catches thrown two yards behind him. He made the catches at his ankles. He made the catches, you know, three feet over his head. He's, he would be, he would have been Sam Donald's best friend. And, um, you know, that's, that's just something that he can do. I, I do think Jamar Chase is, an absolute stud because the reality is how many teams would love to have Justin Jefferson on their team right now. 
probably any, every team in the NFL would be incredibly excited if the Vikings just went crazy and decided to trade him for a second round pick. Uh, Jamar Chase was the number one on the on the college team that had Justin Jefferson. So Jamar Chase is better than Justin Jefferson. Yeah. Um, he does a lot of things incredibly well. He plays the ball in the air very well. His body control is very good. He's strong. He runs through tackles um, and his routes are very good. And a lot of people use the word he runs good routes. What Jamar Chase does in his routes is he'll get into the corner's blind spot and that's where he'll run. So now the corner can't see where he is going to make his cut, where he's going to stop, where he is going to change speeds. And that's something that uh, a lot of receivers have difficulty doing. They have you, every athlete ever has difficulty trying to figure out what the other athlete is going to do that they're trying to play against. Um, but that's something that he excels at. Uh, and then Waddle, everything you said, like Devontae Smith was the Heisman winner. Jalen Waddle was the number one receiver on that team before he got hurt. So, you know, it's hard to discount my scouting skills when Alabama's staff had already established that he was the better receiver out of the two. <laughs> yeah, no, I think there's a good chance that he goes higher than people think. I think there was a lot of talk of, oh, it's pitch chase no matter what, four five or five six, depending upon what happens to Atlanta. Like, I don't know. They might have been like, we saw Tyree kill in the Chiefs. Like, I want that. And like, we have Devontae Parker and Gasecki and these guys, and maybe we just go there. I don't know. Miami's polarizing because they could do 800 different things. And I wouldn't really blame them for anything. Um, I wanted to go to pick 23 with the Jets. We'll kind of combine 23 and 34, and I'll phrase it to you in two ways and make it easy. So, one, if you're, you know, you're, GM, you're Joe Douglas. Robert Sala on draft night, a year 23 and 34. There's been talk they could trade up if someone falls, if an Elijah Bear Tucker or, you know, uh, Rashawn Slater or Devontae Smith start falling, or there's talk they'll trade back. A, what would you, would you rather see them go both offensive side of the ball, either a line receiver, you know, someone there, or are you okay with the possibility, which I am, if a guy like JOK or one of the corners fall and taking a you know defensive guy, although obviously the offense has been putrid. I still think those are game changer guys. Like, is it okay for them to go defense or do they just have to go offense no matter what at 23 and 34? So I wouldn't hate if on the Jets and I trade back five spots and get another fourth round pick. And then I trade back five spots and get a third round pick. And I trade back five spots and I get a third round pick next year. Um, because the reality is the Jets just need talent, you know, and I'm not, I'm closing my eyes and just taking the best player available, you know, mm -hmm. as long as it's not, uh, you know, hell, even if it is a, a position that you feel super comfortable in, like you just, you need talent on your team. You know, you can't have, you're not going to be able to win with half of the guys in your offensive line. Uh, you need more corners. You need another linebacker. Um, you know, you need a tight end, but you're obviously not going to do that in the first two rounds, which might is a reason to, to trade back. Now you get that extra pick and you can take a tight end and another tight end. Um, you know, you can just begin to really seed in um, your, your roster because I think the reality is the hit rate on the first round picks is 50%. You guys get two first round picks. Yeah, one lottery if both of them end up being pro bowlers, uh, you know, and you're just normal if one of those guys never really turns out to be a great player. And I think that with JOK, that's an incredible possibility because we're talking about uh, Devontae Smith being 166. Nobody's talking about JOK playing linebacker at 205 pounds. And he bulked up to be 216. Yeah. It's, you know, there was – Jeremy Chin was able to play that rover spot for Carolina, but that is something that's not common and, you know, a starting position in a lot of NFL defenses. And JOK is just, he's, he's not a linebacker. He's, yes. he's not, he's not Ray Lewis. Ray Lewis was 250 pounds. He's not Brian Urlacher. Brian Urlacher was 250 pounds. You can say, Oh, but this guy's so fast. Ray Lewis and Urlacher were just as fast. You know, Patrick queen, just as fast. You can find a lot of linebackers who have that extra 30 pounds and can actually take on a blocking offensive lineman and get through a tight end to make the tackle against the running back. I 205 pounds is that's easy more, that's for, more scary. for a lot of that's linebackers. That's more scary than Smith at 170 when 
in reality, you can't really even press the way you used to, as opposed to as great as it is to be good in space, teams still do run the ball, especially the AFCs. Those guys do run the ball. Like you do need to take on blockers. These task tackles have never been more athletic. And, you know, <laughs> think about it. If you're on the other side of the ball, Mekhi Becton is very athletic and he can pull and he's 380. So like you're going to get, it's like a road grade truck. And like, if you can't take on blocks, it does put your defense in a situation where now you have to carry two guys. You have to play like almost him as a safety which he could, but it's now it's like you almost lose value because now you're taking a box safety in the top 20. I don't know. It's like he's a he's a polarizing guy in the draft for sure because he could fall or get overly hyped in Isaiah Simmons type situation. Yeah, you, if if you're the Jets and you trade back, you know, 10 spots and get a future second or 15 spots and get a really nice pick, or even if you just trade back four and get a fourth round pick, you know, you're, you're beginning to really stack a lot of options because, you know, Zayvon Collins from Tulsa, 270 pound built linebacker that, that the Jets have been facing in New England for the last 20 years. God, you'd love to have that kid on your team. And he's going to be there. If you trade back twice, he might still be there. Or you can take Surratt from North Carolina if you're really like focused on getting a linebacker to put next to CJ Mosley. Um, or or you can just keep trading back and, and try to find, you know, a corner. You can do what the, the Vikings did last year. You can take a corner early, and then you can take a corner in the middle. And as those two grow together as rookies, like, you can just flip them in for each other. Um, but you only get that when you have a lot of picks. I think a lot of guys fall in love with a lot of players instead of just realizing, hey, there's five guys at this position I like. And don't talk yourself into one make the right equitable decision, move back and get more picks because you also don't know who's going to fall to the fourth round. You know, I bet the Cowboys didn't think that that Biotish from Wisconsin was going to fall to the fourth round to fill in for Travis Frederick, but he did. They got him. They had probably one of the best drafts last year.